Welcome to this episode of the Pull Up a Chair podcast. Remember that we may not all think alike, but we can all love alike. And I'm so excited to have my two guests with me today. This is Ed and Deborah Lloyd. They've been friends of mine for a long time. Uh, and uh, we, we brought them in a couple of weeks ago here at Aldersgate and we honored them. We just started a new scholarship, a mission scholarship in their name that's gonna help send missionaries on short-term mission trips. And so uh, we're glad to have them with us today to just talk a little bit more about how this all got started. And so, um, Ed and Deborah, welcome. Glad y'all are here. Um, so you guys, uh, just the short story is, uh, y'all spent a lot of years in Tanzania as missionaries. Um, kind of tell us a little bit about uh, how that all came to be. So before we even do that, tell us a little bit about what your life was like before you were called to Tanzania. So what was it like when the Lloyds were living in Lubbock, Texas, just the regular life in Lubbock, Texas? What was that like? Well, for uh, a number of years, we had owned and operated the Rise and Shine donut shops and before that Jack and Jill that we changed. But we had sold those. Uh, a year or so before uh, we went to Tanzania, or uh, I went, and Deborah had gone back to work at uh, Texas Tech. She had worked at Tech, and then she quit there and was helping in the donut shops. And she had gone back with them. And uh, I had started a home inspection business and uh, had been in it, I don't know, maybe a year when... Uh, Things went south, and I went, <laughs> literally, I went, yeah, I literally went, south, a long way south, maybe east or west. Or I, don't, I don't know how that is, but anyway, it went somewhere. Uh, but uh, we had a pretty normal life, I guess. We had a house out in the country and a donkey, and so we were Tree enjoying house. life. So, treehouse for the grandkids. Treehouse. Yeah. So in Lubbock, a house out in the country, a donkey, and a treehouse for the kids and grandkids, that's that's normal life, right? Yeah, so, sure. <laughs> uh, but at that time, things were happening here at Aldersgate with a, a new missions, uh, grassroots missions organization known as Omega, um, and it was stationed in Tanzania, Africa. And so, Ed, I think you were the first one of the first ones on a, on a trip to Tanzania. Yes, that's correct. Uh, the very first mission trip that Omega took over there. Uh, I was on it. Uh, Deborah, had Ed ever e e even been out of the country at that point? No. In fact, he told people I got out my map of Texas and Tanzania wasn't anywhere on it. <laughs> and the kids were shocked. They were like, Dad? In fact, isn't there some story about, like, you literally got a passport like days before the trip left. Is that correct? That's true. Uh I didn't have, of course, didn't have a passport, and we started in like May, May. I guess. Uh, and I thought, okay, I'll go get one. So I went out to the post office, I guess, or wherever you went to get it at that time. And they said, okay, we need your your birth certificate. Well, I had it. I had a copy of it. The hospital copy, the pretty yeah. handwritten one. Not <laughs> but it turned out it had never been registered in the, either in the county where I lived or with the state. And so they said, "Well, you gotta, you gotta go through that." So this took several months. They wanted all kinds of documentation of early childhood, schools, just whatever records, and they wanted original records. Well, those didn't exist. Our house burned when I was thirteen years old, and even the elementary school that I went to burned. Uh, 
So anyway, it just took a lot of time. And so I finally got it and I thought, okay, cool, I can get my passport. So I sent it to the passport office to get my passport. And they came back and said, we're sorry, but the documents that the state used to issue your birth certificate uh, are not sufficient for passport purposes. So we started through this process again and sent me a long list of things I could send them. And I got my passport, well, uh, on Friday afternoon at four o'clock by overnight UPS package that I had provided them to send it. And we left Sunday morning at 11, <laughs> going to Tanzania. <laughs> That's just crazy. Uh, so you go to Tanzania, Ed, and um, so what what happens while you're there? I, I, I don't mean necessarily with, with your hands, but what happened in your heart while, while you were there? Nothing. <laughs> we got ready to come back, and, and Jerry was had each of us sit down and talk like this in a video, and he, of course he was trying to collect stuff to come back and promote it. And I said... I'm disappointed because I knew that my call was to go to Tanzania long-term, longer-term. And I guess I was expecting to get over there and find a burning bush or mm. put my hands on something and then burn them, you know, that, okay, this is why you're supposed to come to Tanzania. And nothing happened. And uh, nothing like that. It was a great trip. We had an incredible thing. We built uh, actually some motel rooms for a church that they were going to rent out to, on Kilimanjaro for people going up Kilimanjaro. And uh, we came back, and so I said, well, okay, now what, you know? Because <laughs> And so talked to Jerry and... He said, well, let's do another team real quick because everybody's excited about it. So we tried to do a team in Christmas break, after Christmas. And we had about 10 people signed up. And before Christmas, all 10 had dropped out mm. for various reasons because of the, I mean, you know, it's around Christmas. So Jerry said, well, I'm going in January. And said, you can come go with me and we'll see, you know, what happens. And so I went. Uh, with him prepared to stay uh, for six months, actually. And uh, they Omega found a place for, for where I could stay and, and work for that six months with the missionary, German missionary over there that had a facility. Mm -hmm. So you, you knew that you were called to Tanzania long-term before you ever stepped on that airplane the very first time. Right. Deborah, your call came a little bit differently mm -hmm. than that. So how did how did y'all how did y'all reconcile that together? Well, I'm as much as the Lord spoke to Ed about going, I knew that that was. I mean, I felt it in my spirit too, not for me, but for him. But we we talked about it. We weren't really sure what that would look like. We knew military families did six months off, and said, well, we can do that. And I like my donkey in the country, <laughs> and um, but I had other responsibilities to tend to, and here that were um, not—I mean, caring for my father and, and things like that—and and, and um, 
so we just thought, well, okay, we'll, we'll do it. And then so when he went back and was there for six months, he could only be there because his, his visa was only good for that length of time. Then when he went back, I went uh, for three weeks that summer and just as a visit. And we determined that that we could do it, that I could live there. But we didn't, still didn't know what that was going to look like or work or anything. That's another thing we need to point out. My call was to go to show up in Tanzania and do whatever little thing God put in front of me on a day-to-day basis. And so at that point, we had no clue what we were going to do or going to be doing or where we're going to stay or whatever. Yeah. Can y'all, can y'all talk to us just a little bit about your call? Cause, um, this, this is whether you go to Tanzania or you're called to go across the street and talk to a neighbor or whatever it may be, but you didn't have some burning bush experience that said, you know, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. You're going to Tanzania. Like how, how just talk to us about how you knew you were called to to go to Tanzania and and be in Tanzania for a, a long period of time? Well, uh, the call, I was riding down the road one day in a pickup and I'd been talking to Jerry over the phone. Uh, he had just got back from Tanzania and he was trying to set up Omega and trying to, he made some contacts over there and saw some of the, the needs and opportunities that they had. And so he'd spell all that out for me. And a voice said, you need to check this out. An audible voice or a, a voice inside your head? I thought audible. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. to be honest with you. I believe it. It might not have been audible. It wasn't Jerry, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and so as I checked out Omega, and uh, of course we're struggling with a passport and all that stuff, God finally convinced me that, uh, just what I said, he wanted me to be obedient to him, to show up in Tanzania and do whatever little thing he put in front of us, in front of me. And at the same same time, Deborah and I were uh, connecting on it, and we knew that it was a longer-term call than just a week, you know, or two, or two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it, there was a possibility we might... Uh, have to be separated and for some period. And we were okay with that at, at, that, at that point. Yeah. And that was one of the, you know, the naysayers. Well, God would never call a man and his wife separate. Well, but he did. Mm. And God would never ask you to leave your grandchildren when we were such an active part of their lives. Well, but he did. Mm. And there was a, Ed was like, I'm all in, I'm going. There was the turmoil in me, but I knew mm-hmm. in my spirit that, that that was what we were supposed to do. Yeah. You knew you were called, but there was still that wrestling yes. moment. Uh-huh. And um, I also love y'all's story in terms of calling. God didn't come and say, well, and this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and this is what you're going to do. And this is literally, he, he called, you went, and you didn't know from day to day what that was going to look like. I, I think in our Western mentality, sometimes we're so hung up on, well, if God's calling us, he's going to tell us exactly what's going to happen. And that's just not the case. I think y'all's story clearly points that out. And it wasn't uh, a warm, fuzzy feeling all the time. <laughs> there were times when you think, oh, wow, that's great. But most of it was just dogging 
dogging it out and following what God led yeah. to get there. Yeah. You know, that was. So when you both decide to go for an extended period of time, like walk us through that. I mean, y'all, you, you didn't say, well, we're going to leave everything here just in case we're not over there. Like y'all walk us through that. Like what <laughs> you, you literally sold everything almost, I think. I remember the conversation real clearly because we, we were discussing this. Do we sell everything? And, and we determined that it was better that we did sell everything because if we <clears throat> uh, put something, I mean, had it all in storage and all that kind of stuff, we would be hanging on mm. to because we didn't know what that was going to look like. And if we came back, then you know, we didn't know if it was going to be one year, two years, ten years. And that that was still just something to hold on to here if we put it in storage. Oh, wow. I, that's so powerful because, mm -hmm. like I said, this doesn't involve necessarily moving halfway around the world sometimes. But sometimes I think God just calls us to let go of mm -hmm. things and surrender because if we don't, we'll continue to hold on to those mm -hmm. things and not move into whatever he's calling us to move into. That's such a powerful word. Um, so so y'all did that, literally everything house, furniture, cars, everything. You move to a completely different culture on a completely different continent. Uh, but y'all's time there, I know God showed up in some amazing ways and did some amazing things. And I'm I know there were lows as well, but just just walk us through some of the highs. Like what, what in your time there, just share some stories with us in terms of some of the things that God did in your life or things that you got to witness because you were willing to lay everything down and follow God's call. Well, when we when we first went there, uh, we went we lived at a school right next door to a school in a three bedroom mission house uh, called Aldershade. It was owned by the Church of God. And uh, they had a thousand students, and uh, so I was uh, doing. We were constructing three new dormitories that would have a hundred kids each, and I was helping supervise the construction, plus maintenance on the buildings that they had. And I had been there six months, mm -hmm. right, when Deborah came, so I'd already was situated, uh, and we knew where we we're going to live, and. Uh, kind of what we're going to do, but Deborah didn't know exactly what she was going to be doing, and I had no clue. So uh, she brought her sewing machine, so she was going to make dresses for the granddaughters and stuff, because she had all this time. Well, you tell them what you did. <laughs> well, he came home one day and he said, uh, would you like to, Pastor Suli was a, an on-campus doctor, and uh, He's, he said they had built her a little clinic there on the campus, and he said, "Why don't you make take Pastor Suli into town and buy her some fabric and make fabric for her little clinic?" And it was probably one, two, three, four windows. And I went, "I did not come to Tanzania to make curtains. <laughs> I have grandbabies. I could have been making grand curtains for my grandbabies, but we did. And of course, you can imagine all the most beautiful African fabric there was. But she picked this." This stuff out that was just very, uh, very, very ornate and very uh, ravelly and stuff. But we got her curtains made, and and then the next thing I knew, up at the Church of God compound, they had these little what they call bandas, and they were guest houses. And um, 
they decided they needed new curtains up there. So there was seven bondas and right. eight, eight bondas. Each one had two windows in it. And so I made two panels for each curtain, I mean, for each window. And I just went and took a measurement of the window and went home and I made all these curtains and the missionary and I went up there and we were hanging them. But none of the windows were the same size. <laughs> Some of them were too short, you know, so we had to remake the curtains and everything. But that theme extended all the way through my, and it was just, I was just like angry. I'm supposed to be telling about Jesus while I'm here, you know, but I did have some interesting uh, experiences buying fabric with, with one of the evangelists there. And um, uh, he, we were buying fabric and he came in and she, he was drunk in the store. And she said, uh, and he said, you're a drunkard. And she said, do you know Jesus? And he said, no, no. She said, well, you need to know Jesus. And of course, she was very fluent in Swahili, and he's, he went and got his wife and brought him in. And anyway, she prayed for him and there while we were buying fabric for the curtains. But the ironic thing was through that whole thing, I mean, I don't want to say I resented making curtains, but I thought there was bigger and better things mm. to do than making curtains. But my last gift of love when, before we left was the dormitories that Aldersgate built and I made curtains for those dormitories. <laughs> but by then it was, anyway, yes. The, the small things and the big things, uh -huh. right? Such, such another, such important lesson. Um, and sometimes I think we fail to see God in the small things, uh, but I, I know you saw him in the small things and, and the big things. So y'all have mentioned a couple of times now. So uh, during your time there, you hosted teams from literally all around the world. The world. Uh -huh. um, so just share with us a little bit about your experiences when those teens would come and um, uh, kind of, you know, I think he, our Western mindset is always uh, as a short-term missionary, if I'm going to be gone a week or two weeks or whatever, I, I'm there to make a, you know, kind of like what mm -hmm. you're saying, Deborah, is like, I'm not here to just sew curtains. I'm here to make a difference and mm -hmm. to share Jesus. And, and uh, but tell us in your experience, uh, I'm sure you saw that happen, but w what else did you see happen with many of these team, teams that came? Well, one thing I think we need to talk about before we did that, and we shared this story uh, in church, was uh, Deborah was healed <clears throat> one day. Uh, we were uh, had a meeting set up with Pastor Santoni at Zambasha to the next day to talk about uh, a team. We had a team coming over, and we had to meet with him and be sure everything was lined up because we were the host. That was something else. For five years, we were we hosted these short-term mission teams and volunteers that came over there. But we had this meeting set up and woke up that morning. And Deborah was sick. She had a high fever and chills and headache and was weak. Just had to help her out of bed. So we figured, well, this is probably malaria, and we'll go get tested. But we need to call Pastor and tell him that we're not going to. Uh, make the meeting. So I called him and I explained the situation to him and he says, okay, click, hung up the phone. But about 10 minutes later, he called back and he said, Babu, uh, I have some other pastors and elders here from the church and we're all gathered in the church and we're going to pray for Deborah. And uh, we want you to put your hand on her and pray with us. So we did and he prayed and a couple other people prayed in Swahili 
I have no clue what they said, but it was fervent <laughs> prayers anyway. <laughs> and then there was a long pause, just silence on the phone. And uh, then he says, okay, click, hung up again. Well, I'm standing there with my hand on Deborah, and her chills went away, and her fever went away, and her headache went away. And she got up, felt great, normal. So we loaded up and uh, went in and had our meeting with him that afternoon. And when I greeted him that afternoon, I said, Pastor, Deborah was healed. And he said, yes, I know. (laughs) 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 There there are many stories like that, I know. And I want to circle back around and get to some of those those stories as well. But that happened on a day that you were getting ready to host a team Mm -hmm. that was coming in. Yeah, that was part of a The teams... the dynamics of each team was different. There was no two teams the same. Um, uh, personalities were different, and you could always tell the difference of the, the teams that had prepared before they came by getting to know each other's personalities and their strengths and their weaknesses as opposed to one who just says, okay, there's 12 of us going, let's go. It was, if, if you're very strategic, and I think that was something Jerry we talked about when we were talked about doing this podcast was how important it was it is for teams to to be prepared even individuals we had a couple of individuals who came and stayed a couple of months with us just individual people but um uh it you know one group came to work at uh, a school for uh handicapped children um and they were really trying to change the culture of the way Tanzanians, Africans viewed a child who was handicapped and are developmentally delayed and because normally they just shunned them. And um, it, the, the woman who started it had a, a child who was, had extreme autism. And anyway, a group of, of uh, special ed teachers came and mm-hmm. They trained the teachers and, and how to do things and really kind of help. They were built, where were they? They were kind of in a little strip center type thing. Mm-hmm. And then eventually through Omega's help, the teams that came, they got them a school built and the impact that those teachers had on training these teachers. And today they have, they have the school, they have a vocational training for, um, to, to help these people develop farming techniques, to they're raising chickens, they're doing crafts to sell in the markets. So the impact that those teams make, each team had a, had a different impact. And the, the it was it was just a really neat thing. The other side of it is when they when they come, they come with expectations. And the teams that would come were just like, I'm here, what do you want me to do? But you when you come and you have expectations and it's Number one, you're in a totally different culture, that, and you have to understand the dynamics in, in many instances totally in opposition to our culture, which money issues mm-hmm. and um, that kind of stuff is totally in opposition to Americans. And um, they sometimes people have a real hard time giving up control of that and just blending in with the culture and not trying to bring their culture to them, but but trying to reach out. And, and I, one time uh, that we were in the, the habit of teams coming and we would tell them, you're going to do a home visit, bring a gift, 
and, you know, for their home. And what we would find, we'd be going to a mud hut and they're bringing a coffee table book of Lubbock, Texas, and they have a pole in the middle of the room with pots. Well, they don't need that. So what we finally started doing is when they got on the ground, we would take them, we'd go buy rice and buy sugar. But And there was some struggles with people who came who, who didn't want to give up control and let God do them. And, and sometimes dynamics on a team. And, and with this particular group of, of special ed teachers, every one of those people in that group were very strong personality leaderships. And one day, like on the third day, they just, that's, we don't know what's happening. And they all just broke down in some way or another and realized that they were under attack. And, and they finally just let go and just let God do what they were doing in, in his time. And then they built relationships with these kids. And, and to this day, I still see lots of communication with them on Facebook. So I think I hear you guys saying two things. One, um, the teams that came in a very short time did make an incredible impact yes. uh, in the lives of the people that they were with and mm -hmm. impact that probably is still living today there. Absolutely. Uh, another, uh, it's easy to get overwhelmed yes. when you come into a third world country like that. And you get to thinking, wow, what little I'm going to do is not going to make any difference. Or even what the team's going to do is not going to make any difference because they see all the needs and the hunger and the poverty and all that. But you're wrong to think that way. God takes these little things and he multiplies them. Mm -hmm. Maybe he brings another team to follow up on what you're doing. Or like she's talking about step by step, he brought a couple from the Netherlands after we helped them build uh, a building, buy land and build a building, he brought a couple from the Netherlands over there, and they spent a year volunteering to teach and train, and then they raised money, and they built a bigger building. Mm -hmm. So God had multiplied those efforts. Absolutely. And we saw that. You know, we had three major projects mm -hmm. that we worked on, and every one of them, we saw that. Yeah. So short team, short term mission teams do make a, a big difference. Absolutely. The second thing I hear you saying is that in a short amount of time, when you had these teams on the ground there, you would see spiritual transformation happen right before your very eyes in their lives in a very short amount of time. I, I think I hear you saying that loud and clear. And I think oftentimes we think, well, that's that's the other impact of short term missions is um what happens in someone's life there when they come back. But we, like you literally saw it mm -hmm. from the day you first met someone to the day you said bye, you saw spiritual transformation in their lives. One team we had, uh, Sabasha was on a uh, foothill of the mountain of Mount Meru, which is the second tallest mountain in uh, Tanzania. And uh, we had a team there and the pastor about the second day said, we're going up the mountain to pray. They had a special place up foothills there Every a little Friday. bit. Every Friday they went mm -hmm. and they prayed, the, the church elders and pastors and so forth. So, and it was a trail you walked, but it was up, you know, <laughs> it was tough going up. But it, uh, and we got about halfway up and, and uh, there was a beautiful valley there. And Deborah said, I just can't go on. I'm, I'm give out and I'm going. This was after the malaria. Mm. Yeah. And he said, I'm, she said, I'm going to sit here and pray while y'all go on up and pray. 
So she handed me the camera and said, take some cool pictures. So we went up, and as I came over a little rise on this mountain foothill, here was kind of a bowl, and in the center of it was a huge tree, big shade tree. And so as I came over that, here was 25 people, some Tanzanians and some Americans, gathered underneath this, this tree. And I thought, man, this is going to be great. We're going to get some good pictures. And God said, no pictures. Mm. This is my time. Mm. So I laid the uh, camera down. And so they sang, started singing some songs. And I looked around, and here was Deborah. I said, I thought you weren't coming. <laughs> <laughs> she said, God said, told me that, that he would take me to the top of that mountain. And so they sang a few songs, and the pastor prayed, and he went to everybody there and laid his hand on them and prayed. And uh, we had a young lady there. In fact, there were two, a couple of Tanzanian ladies who were slain in the spirit. And we had a, a young lady from Austin who was a vocal agnostic. She just didn't get into this Jesus stuff, and I don't know why she came on the trail, but anyway, <laughs> she was there. And she was standing there with tears running down her face, mm. and God told Deborah to tell her, I have so much more for you. Mm. But the Holy Spirit was alive and well that day under a shade tree on a mountain in East Africa. Mm. And the whole team agreed later that this was the most spiritual experience they'd ever experienced in their life. Wow. Yeah. Such such words of encouragement. I you know I just y'all y'all story, but such words of encouragement for for anyone who may be listening that's feeling that nudge. Whether it's like I said, Africa, Guatemala, Spain, or across the street, literally, because you never know what God has in store. If and I love the way you say this, Ed. If you just show up, mm -hmm. you know what what God has in store and. Man, I, I know this podcast could last days if we talked about all the things that y'all saw God and the Holy Spirit do there. Um, but just, I, I know y'all have some memorable, some very memorable stories about that. Just share some of us with some of those memorable stories. I'll just start by saying, Deborah, I'm going to put you on the spot, but I know you have a couple of stories. A uh, little girl with a, a cleft palate. And then um, I also just love your story of seeing the, not actually seeing, you didn't see it, but you 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 were part of an exorcism that you didn't even know you were a part of. So just kind of share a couple of those stories with us. Well, um, so Pastor Saitoti, who was at Sambasha, he was he's an evangelist and uh, planting churches, you know, and out in the Maasai country. But there was a little stick church right near the Kia Airport, Kilimanjaro Airport, that he wanted to to build a church, and so. Ed and I went to meet with him and look at it and determine, could this be done? And um, it was not unusual for kids to come around uh, when we would show up. And so we were in this stick barn type thing. And I turned around and looked in the back of the room. And this was the only child, a little girl sitting in the back of the room. He had a gaping cleft palate. And in the Tanzanian culture, those children were shunned. And if you were in the bush, Oftentimes they were put out as a, as a baby into the bush to be taken by the lions because they just didn't want that 
in their tribe. And anyway, she was sitting back there and I just looked at her and smiled and, and God literally spoke and said, you can change this child's life. You can heal this child. And I went, okay. You know, and, and I didn't know what that meant. And we went back to Dodoma, which was about an eight hour drive from there. And we'd been working with Andrea Helleman with the Safina Street Kids. And Andrea was a, a team member on a cleft palate surgery team who came to Kenya every year and did just a week long. Two of, she two, was a nurse. Yeah, for two weeks long. Um, and she was critical because she spoke the language. And um, I, I asked Andrea, so how do we how do we get this little girl help? And, and she said, you just have to get her there. And so we were able to get, um, get her there. Pastor Saitoti went with her and her mother because they had never been out of the, the, the culture. And, um, she was taken care of and healed. And, and we went back, um, well, probably, well, we were there a lot, but, uh, right before, uh, we left. Her mother came and got us and took us into their home, and and she, and she just thanked us, thanked us, and she was just the little girl was just beautiful. Her little mouth was healed. Wow. But um, uh, oh, there was something that came to mind with in light of that. But um, anyway, so the others, it, there's so many really spiritual things that happen around uh, around Pastor Saitoti. Uh <laughs> This is a funny story. They. Uh, so there was a little deaf girl in the um, Nanyori who was in, and a lot of people are going to know who Nanyori is. She and she was in the the Sambasha community, and and she was around with the kids, and she was very smart. You could just tell by how smart she was. And there was a, a deaf school in Dodoma, and we talked to Pastor Saitoti about bringing her to Dodoma and let's enroll her in this deaf school. And there was some people. Uh, from that team that worked at the special ed place who wanted to pay for her schooling. And so Pastor Saitoi brings her and her mother, her grandmother, to to, to Dodoma, and they were going to stay with us and um, get her enrolled and then go back. Well, they show up, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to have Tanzanian food. You know, we're not going to, because Maasai people aren't real excited about trying new things. So... We, we did it, and we were sitting out on our back screen porch, and they just sat there, and, and it occurred to me this little girl and her grandmother had never sat at a table mm-hmm. to eat, and that was kind of a, an odd thing. And, and then the other thing was, <laughs> this may be too much information, but they didn't know how to use the toilet. They used the bathtub. So so anyway, the, the grandmother and Pastor Saitoti leave and leave us with Nanyori and I, you know, my Swahili and sign language is not too good. <laughs> and so finally I just went, come on, Nanyori, I got to show you something. Just took her in the bathroom and said, this is how you go to the bathroom. <laughs> but she, uh, it was, she was a delight and uh, um, she's such a and we enrolled in school. She didn't stay with us for a few yeah. days. Uh-huh. She, she was a residential school. school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. But the exorcism before we went, I, I just really prayed as, you know, Lord, we're just going to see all this new, you know, spiritual stuff. Do I need to go to school to find out how to do deliverance, you know? And, and I don't want to say I heard him laugh, but I'm, I'm sure he was just going, oh, come on, Deborah. You know? <laughs> so we had a team from Aldersgate there, and Wade Krausen had had a whole classroom of people 
up in one of the classrooms and uh, teaching them about caring for AIDS patients and you know educating them on on loving them and it was okay to love them and, and take care of them and he had a translator and it was just a real it was that was real good for for the whole community. But um, Janie Bailey and I were out talking to Pastor Saitoti. And um, so there's been this woman around the site. Every time anybody comes, she was there and she was drunkard. You know, she'd push you, she'd spit on you, you know. And Pastor Saitoti would just say, just ignore her. She, you know, she's a drunkard. And so she was out there and kind of hanging around. And, and I said, does she want us to pray for her? And she said, yes. And... Um, uh, we found out her name was Baraka, which means blessing. Mm -hmm. So Janie and Pastor Saitoti and I just started praying for her. And then right in the middle of it, he said, stop. And he said, you go take, was talking to the lady, you go take those bracelets off. They're the bracelets of a witch doctor. And so she went and took her bracelets off and, and laid them on the ground. He said, I said, you get rid of them. And she threw them over this cliff and um, so anyway, we continued to pray, and she just kind of went down on the ground, kind of went limp, and and was real calm and and everything. And and she got up, Asante Sana, thank you very much, and and she left. Well, as we were going down the mountain, uh, they were we were all talking about everything that was going on in the car, and somebody said, "What was that noise out there?" And they could literally hear screaming and shrieking coming out of that woman and Janie and I never heard a thing. Mm. And I would tell you, I'd have been in the car down the mountain in the <laughs> if I'd have heard it, but <clears throat> it was uh, real exciting. And I know there's been some, some other teams prior to Ed and I going who had some amazing <clears throat> miraculous experiences in the bush. Um, a child coming back to life after being stillborn and, and I mean, they had already a nurse had already determined that this child was was dead in the womb, and they said, you know, but she they came back and said that she the child lived was born alive, but I mean, you know that there's been lots of stuff that's happened and mm -hmm. and just in the day to day things, just expecting you know that this child can't take her examinations not because she's ill but because somebody's put a spell on her, mm -hmm. and the watch a doctor address the spiritual aspect as opposed to the physical aspect. And, and um, he was a, a friend of ours who was a doctor in the bush, and, and that was a common part of his practice was addressing spells and doing deliverance and wow. working with families to try to not wow. do that. Wow. It just amazes me, y'all. Those stories just kind of roll off your tongue. Like It's almost like it's still so supernatural, but it was almost like it came so natural yes. for y'all while, while you were there. Um, so uh, speaking of witch doctors, by the way, uh, y'all became quite the witchers yourself while you were there, right? Diviners. 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 So not witch doctors, but but diviners with, with witching rods, yes. literally. So mm -hmm. witching rods meaning finding finding water and right. which is, is a problem there. So talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Well, uh, Safina, one of the organizations I would work with, and the story is a lady missionary from New Zealand had worked with them in the past. And Safina ministers to kids who live on the street. 
the word safina is a Swahili word that translates as refuge. Uh, ark. What? Ark. Refuge or an yeah, ark. Yeah. Uh, Noah's ark mm-hmm. was safina, and also the reed basket that Moses was found in was oh. translated safina. So this is a refuge for kids who live on the street. A lady who had worked with them a couple of years before just showed up one day, got off the bus and said, call them, said, here, I'm here. She said, I've got money and I want to buy you some land. So they picked out three sites, a three acre site close to town, five acres a little further and about 20 acres out 30 miles. Said, okay, you know, which one do you want to buy? She said, I want to buy all three of them. So she did. So then we came back, I think we were gone at the time, and we came back and they were telling us about this land. I said, well, Pastor, what, you know, now you have it, but what are you going to do with it? So he said, well, this three-acre track close to town, we want to build two uh, foster homes that'll house 30 kids each and foster parents so that we can take kids off the street and put them in a home-type environment. And uh, with three acres, we've got place for volleyball and basketball and soccer and all this. And the 20 acre tract, you wanted to plant one acre of grapes as a cash crop. They grew a lot of grapes there. And the five acre tract, they were going to grow corn for uh, feed for food. But this three acre tract didn't have any water, it was just raw land. There was no water, no electricity, just, just out there. So uh, we came home, and uh, the Sunday before we were to go back on Monday to Tanzania, we spoke here at Aldersgate. And uh, we just laid this out that they had got this land and long term vision Patrick had for uh, this three acre track, these two houses, but they were going to cost about $70,000 a piece. And we had to get water, which at the time we estimated 25000 to get water out there. And so this was just long-term, as God provided. We got something that was in the future. When I got through talking, we came back to the foyer, and a gentleman here from the church came up, and he said, you see these two houses, oh, 30 kids each, yeah, 60 kids that you can get off the street, yeah. And it cost about 70000 yeah, so 140000 for both of them. Yes, sir. He said, well, I'm in. He said, I want to get those kids off the street. And so we left, and Monday morning we left going back. And of course, it's 24 hours to get there and then an eight-hour drive to where we lived and so forth. By the time we got there, we had an email from Jerry out at Omega. He said, I got a check for 140000 and Aldersgate has subscribed to the 25000 to do the water project. Mm. So we get started. <laughs> <laughs> Just show up. <laughs> Just show up. That's right. Just get going. So we want to be good stewards of, of the church's money. We hired a hydrologist. They had a portable uh, seismograph deal. And I had worked with them before because I had done water projects with the uh, last while out of San Antonio and installing pumps and so forth. Anyway, we called these people and said, come out and survey this three acres. We want to build, we want to drill a well, but we want you to tell us where. So they did. 
they picked three sites. The land sloped. It was a rocky hill, and it sloped down through a little draw that came through a wash. And they picked three sites down in this wash on the low end. And but she said one of them is very strong, better than better than the other two. But you're gonna have to go deep. Said the water's 200 meters down, and uh, we were estimating 100 meters initially because that was kind of standard that I'd seen as it went around the country. So we went and hired a, a drilling company to come out and uh, drill on this site. Well, we went 206 million, seven meters, which is... Two and a half football fields. What? Two and a half football fields. Two and a half fields. football fields, deep. You had nothing but gray granite, mm. no, no water. So we pulled out and said, okay, well, now what? What are we going to do? And another missionary couple that we had met who lived out west of us was coming through town, and they called and said, hey, we're coming through town, and we'd like to stop by. And we said, well, great, come on by and spend the night. We had a three-bedroom house. So they came up, and we were telling them about the water thing, and he said, come out the truck, let me show you. So I went out there, and he pulled out two divining rods that we were calling witching rods. <laughs> he said, we use these. He said, we, we've drilled a couple of wells, and we've hit water both, you know, both times using these rods. So he showed me how to do it, and we were walking around the house, and, and it, it worked. I had to walk across a spot, and the, the rods crossed and were pulling down, and he said, well, that could have been an electric line under there. I said, that would do it too, but we got to look at it. What? It was a water line, incoming water line under the, under the house. So uh, he left, and so the next day we went down to the welding shop and bought us two rods, welding rods, and bent them, and uh, went out there. So after they had worked for me, I thought, oh man, you know, they will see. So I walked, I walked all over that place, and <laughs> old rod didn't do a thing. So I handed them to Deborah and said, okay, you try it. So she starts, and of course, the first thing you know, she's all excited. Ooh, Roger, <laughs> you know, they're crossing it and they're pulling down and stuff. And so she found a couple of places up on top of this rock on the opposite end from where the hydrologist had found. And we marked three spots with a little rock, just picked up a rock and put it up there. So, uh, so we went back and took the rods to Patrick, the pastor that uh, we worked with, and said, okay, you go try it. So he took, he, he had, they had 14 kids living with them. Four of them were theirs, but the rest of them were street kids that they had brought in. Yeah. Anyway, he took the whole family out there and they all tried it and he said they had a lot of fun. Some of them had worked, some of them didn't. So he said, I've, I've marked some spots. So, okay, let's go see. So we got out there. And the three spots he marked were right on top of the three spots that Deborah had marked. Wow. And one of them was a very strong, the strongest. Not only that, but probably six months before that, we had a team from Lakeridge just over there, and we went out and prayed over this land. And we were up on top of that hill, and Jerry Kruger, assistant pastor, 
knelt and poured uh, a bottle of water. And it was, what, 20 feet yeah. from that From spot. where one of those spots yeah. was. Well. So we drilled. Well, the first thing we did, we went back out. We went back to Aldersgate to tell them the problem. <laughs> yeah, they were going to have to drill again. <laughs> but uh, there was a Catholic organization that had the drilling rig. We knew the, the, uh, the father out there, Father Tim. And we had a, he was from Texas, actually, and we had a good connection with him. And so we went out there to him and said, okay, Father Tim, you're the pro. You tell us, are we crazy or not? You know, we had this seismograph crew come in, and we had a dry hole, and now we've used these rods, and we think we found another spot. Would we be crazy to drill there? And he started laughing. He said, not at all. He said, I do business mostly, most of my drilling is with other Catholic organizations. And he said, I don't have a single uh, pastor that will use the, the seismograph. They all use divining rods. Wow. And he said, sometimes they miss. He said, they're not 100%. But he said, there's one old guy out there been doing it for years and said, he'll just pick up a piece of wire off the ground and said, he can tell you how deep the water is and how much of it's there, you know. And so he said, I don't think you're crazy at all. So we went back and we said, okay, we're going to drill. And at 187 meters, we were getting awful nervous. <laughs> through but solid we, rock. Pardon? Yeah, through, through solid, solid granite. Yes. That's where you find water in countries of granite. And it's it's not a uh, not like here where you've got the water nearly anywhere you want to drill if you here you're going to hit water because the aquifer over there you're hitting cre crevices in the granite mm. that the water has come into so we drilled through and in 187 meters hit water oh. it hit good water wow. a lot of water of course it was so deep it cost more we had to put a pump submersible pump a generator and but again all the state you just just show up and, and see God work. I, I think probably if y'all could summarize your entire experience in Tanzania, it would be just show up and see what God's going to do. I, I think it just y'all story, your testimony. And um, so because of that, uh, yeah, we we wanted to honor y'all. Omega Mission donated some, some seed money to Aldersgate Church and... Um, just recently, we we uh, invested in these two as well with that seed money, and we've launched the Ed and Deborah Lloyd Scholarship Fund, Mission Scholarship Fund. And what that fund does is it helps people who are um, called and just want to go show up wherever it may be uh, on a short-term mission trip. It helps them finance part of that trip, and uh, that'll exist in, in y'all's name and um, we, we would love if you feel called or, or led to give to that fund to do that. You can go to Aldersgate's page, aldersgate.online, and you will can give to that to that fund there, and, and we would certainly appreciate you doing that. Uh, and I, I feel like you're probably going to want to do that after listening to these two on this podcast. And um, we, we couldn't think of any better way uh, to use that money than to launch this scholarship fund in y'all's name. And um just all because um, you heard a voice that said, show up. And uh, just so appreciate you guys being willing to share with us on the podcast today what, what happens when you're willing to just show up. Um, 
So any concluding thoughts, things that y'all would want to share that you'd want to leave us with? I know, again, we could go for hours here probably, but anything that y'all would want to just leave us with as as we sign off on the podcast today? Well, first of all, you heard uh, Pastor call me Babu. Uh, yeah. All right, Babu is Swahili for grandfather. Yeah. I have gray hair. So they call me either, <laughs> but you have hair, so. Yeah, well, that's true. But they call me over there Babu or MZ Eddie. They don't like Ed. That's too close, too short. MZ is old man. So they either call me old man Eddie or Babu. <laughs> and you heard him call Deborah Deborah. Deborah. They don't like Deborah either. That's too short. They won't string that out. Just uh, something, a yeah. cultural thing that we yeah. came to accept, and it was good. Uh, the other thing is, when you go on any trip, whether it's a week or a year or 10 years, whatever, keep your focus on God. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get overwhelmed. Yes. You see all the needs, the poverty, the hunger. And it, if you don't focus on God, you won't stay there. Mm. Because you get focused on all that, and you say, "Wow, I can't do it." And if you're on a short-term mission team, you get to thinking, "Wow, I'm not going to have an impact. I'm not going to do anything mm-hmm. because it's so great, need is so great, and I'm so going to do so little, or even your team is going to do." But as I said, God multiplies those things, so you keep your focus on God and do the best you can. Just show up, mm-hmm. and you'll do okay get up every morning and get up close and personal with jesus christ and stay there Mm. and you'll do well it's it's a good word whether you're in your own home or halfway around the world i think i know the answer to this question but what would you say to someone who's listening and is probably filling that tug either to a short-term or long-term uh mission trip or the trip may be literally a trip across the street um what what would you say to someone who's who's feeling that tug but is a little bit resistant to actually stepping in to where they're being called what what i think i know the answer to this but what would you say i tell them to show up (laughs) i knew that and let god do it i knew that was going to be the answer but i wanted it to come from your mouth and rick burkhalter um he was kind of he was a pastor at St. Matthew at the time. He was, we were kind of communicating a little bit during that time Well, while Ed was gone and I was making preparations. And I was just expressing how frustrating it was to be going with, without a plan. And Rick said, Deborah, God's will is not a spot on the wall. It's mm. the wall. Oh, wow. That's good. And, and that's so true. And he's going to put you, he's going to put doors up when he doesn't want you to. He's going to put you where he wants you to be. If you, just like Ed said, if you focus on the wall and not the spot on the wall. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, it's, that's that's really powerful. So, well, Ed, Deborah, Babu, and Deborah, <laughs> thank you guys so much for being willing to come and share with us today on, on the podcast. And I, I know I've had to wipe away tears several times over here, so I know others have as well, and, and you've inspired many. And um, I just appreciate your willingness um, to do exactly what you're encouraging others to do, and that is to show up. And I know both of you well enough to know that that didn't end the day you came back from Tanzania. 
you continue to show up. And so, so appreciative and grateful for that. And um, really honored uh, to honor you guys in this way with this scholarship. And I can't wait, maybe even to sit across the same table with other people in the future who've benefited from your scholarship and God's radically spiritually transformed their lives as well so so thank you guys both and uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of the pull up a chair podcast um, just remind you as we sign off today again we may not all may not all think alike but we can all love alike 